back to this episode of smart and in deciding what to talk about for episode nine i wanted to bring in another smart correspondent i approached amante and asked him what do you want to explore in this episode yeah when jordan approached me i had recently been just thinking a lot about it was recently after the election cycle so a lot about politics and there's been different conversations transpiring around campus where i noticed there was very different perspectives and very strong ideologies so i kind of was curious um, I guess more specifically, how do individuals gain or like build their lens or their perspective, and how what do you do if you're interacting with other individuals or other perspectives that may not be in accordance with yours, and how do you how do you bring harmony between those, and how do you adjust your views being faced with someone that or some information that might be like diametrically opposed to what you think? So we decided to ask four people three questions. Question number one, what is your lens? And uh, the second question was, what do you do if you're faced with new, scary, potentially threatening information? And how do you, essentially how do you reconcile that? What do you do when you're faced with that information? And question number three is, give us an example of you using your lens to deal with information that you may find at first to be threatening or scary. Um, when thinking about these questions, one of the first people that came to my mind is a close friend of mine, Reggie. Um, Reggie and I have known each other since elementary school and have gone through a lot of transformation and growth together. One thing I always admire about Reggie is he's constantly striving to know and understand and integrate more. Um, there have been many situations in our past where Reggie has recommended a book, a reference, a source, a conversation that has sparked some growth not only in me but in other people so when thinking about people that are constantly constructing their lens or actively take in information in order to become better reggie was one of the first people that came to mind i think my lens is a mix between comfort i see a lot of things through how comfortable it make me as well as self-actualization enlightenment elegance um these kind of themes that I am aiming towards, these ideals that I have for myself in my life. Um, and essentially, whenever I get novel, surprising, or threatening information, initially I'm actually rather close-minded towards it because usually if it's novel, and especially if it's threatening, I kind of close off because, I mean, it's not going to make me comfortable. And then usually what I'll do is I'll rationalize like, oh, this isn't really good for me anyway. It's kind of lame or whatever, um, kind of these superficial value judgments. Um, but from there, I mean, it really does depend 
how either interesting or how valuable or um, the source of the information is coming from, right? So let's say it's kind of a good friend of mine um, and they just catch me and they say, hey, you know, you're doing X or they give me an information, some piece of information that um, they think is useful, that they think would be meaningful to me. Or let's say it's just in the environment, right? Um, If it's something threatening, or I perceive as threatening, um, it really depends on where the information is coming from, and I kind of just gauge whether I'm going to reconsider it. Um, and then from there, I mean, it is something I'm working on. I'm trying to like expose myself willingly to more novel, surprising, or threatening sources of information, but essentially it's like I kind of judge whether I should even give something a second look based on where it's coming from, you know, whether... Um, I should risk my comfort for the sake of learning. Um, and I mean, that's not ideal, but I mean, that's what's happening. So um, so one example actually is I used to work, um, rather recently I used to work at a company where, number one, I mean, they gave me a lot of feedback regarding how um, reserved I was socially. And this is one of those things where this is very novel and surprising because I always kind of saw myself as someone who was much more social, um, sociable, personable. Um, and I kind of blew it off. I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. It's just probably just because I don't know you guys. Um, but this feedback persisted for about a few months. Um, and I think what finally allowed me to kind of take in that information was when it actually threatened kind of my position in that company as well as kind of threatened my own well-being. So the comfort of blowing it off, um, blowing off that feedback, was dwarfed by the discomfort and the pain and the suffering that came from not taking in the feedback. Um, So that's one of those things, that's one of those examples that I would use. Um, Other than that, I mean, honestly, it's one of those things where I feel like a lot of people have a similar lens. Um this lens of comfort or predictability, right? Something that they're used to, something that they're comfortable with. Even if they'll say like a bunch of other kind of metaphysical claims, like it's like I'm seeing things through this religious lens or this um, evolutionary lens or what have you. I think there is this big um, factor of comfort that comes into the lens that people see things through. And I think that... um, comfort and that kind of visceral reaction to information informs a lot of how people make their decisions and how they even take in information. And I think for that reason, um, a lot of people um, miss out on new, genuinely new information, right? Um, And I think we suffer for that. One thing I really appreciated about uh, Reggie's observation and conversation was this really interesting insight into how human and how natural it actually is to have these visceral reactions to newer threatening information i thought his it was to be so acutely aware of both yourself as well as like just the general human condition that many individuals are going to have an emotional a mental even a physiological aversion or negative reaction to new information and being so aware of that is is a really good skill and a really good practice and mindfulness that I think is something that was really interesting that Reggie exemplified. So I decided to approach Sarah, Sarah Stelfox. She is a English major, 
Um, she has brown hair, glasses, and a beautiful voice. And you'll be able to hear that in a minute. But what really draws me to Sarah is her way of truly being able to get her, her ideas across in a very beautiful and concise manner. And the analogy that she's about to use, I think, makes the use of lenses something that is, one, poetic and can be extremely unique and special to each person that decides to create one. What is my lens? Uh, I used to play this game when I was younger called Connect Four. And you and a partner take this plastic rectangular panel and it has 42 holes in it. It has six columns and seven rows. And you guys each have a different colored set of discs and you take a turn dropping those discs into the panel and try to get four in a row. You try to connect four. Anyways, I think my worldview is a lot like that game in that there are so many different ways of approaching the world and so many holes to peep through, if you will. And I try to see through as many of those holes, those lenses as I can, and see what the other side looks like through that particular vantage point. And I'll compare them and find out how they're different, how they're the same, and what underlying fundamental shared truths about what exists on the other side of that panel can I extract from this. But right now I feel like I'm operating on a lot of principles rather than lenses because I'm still blind to what is ultimately true about reality and what's really going on on the other side of that panel. These principles are kind of like buzzwords for my own personal psyche. Um, Some of the principles are open-mindedness and remembering that you could be wrong, that you might be missing something, or connecting, connecting the dots, connecting with people, and love. Love is something that is universally relatable, and it's so beautiful. Uh, There's a direct correlation between beauty and truth, so there must be such truth to be found in the study of love. You see it everywhere. It's found in cultures all over the world. You see it upheld and appraised in films and other media. And of course, as a Christian, I grew up hearing God is love all the time, so I value it as a connection to the divine, whatever that connection may be. I think something that is so timelessly relevant must be significant. So even though I don't know what my worldview is, the lens of love, along with these other principles, are a solid default in the moments of existential crisis, which happen on the daily. What methods or approaches do you use when faced with novel or surprising or sometimes threatening information? Well, first and foremost, I check myself to see if I'm ready to receive the information productively. I go through a series of questions. Am I keeping an open mind? Am I keeping an open heart and actively listening? Are my emotions cooled? What underlying assumptions am I operating on at this moment? Just things like that to make sure that I'm being my best self so that I can engage with the information and conversation in the best manner. Um, An enemy attack is always more devastating when you don't know it's coming. A punch to the stomach is always more damaging when you're relaxed and not flexed for it. So you have to be ready for a challenge or else it's ineffective. I always try to be on my guard, not in a cynical and fearful way, but just in that I try to anticipate information that will challenge my worldview. And actually, I try my best to actively seek out this kind of threatening information whenever possible, just because I want to learn. And I know that this uncomfortable information will help me more than if I didn't have it. And because, yeah, I don't know what's going on right now with the grand scheme of the cosmos, and 
I don't even know if I can know. So what am I supposed to do about that? Mope around in a pit of meaninglessness? That's one option, but I found that I'm much happier and much more satisfied when I give my best effort each and every day. You have to keep trying and keep wrestling. You keep giving that maximum effort. I need to do my best work every day to gather whatever new truths I can about the way the world works and integrate that into my bank of knowledge. And I know I'll I'll never know everything, but that's the joy of living. You keep trying, and one day it will be worth it. What do you decide to take in, adjust to, or reject? Honestly, that comes down to the logical flow and open-mindedness of the presenter. Um, Here's the thing. I once heard that change is the only constant, and I deeply resonate with that. Things change all the time. And I think they were designed to, dare I say, created that way. S.E. Hinton's book, The Outsiders, drew out the point that nothing gold can stay. And that's why every time I think I've made some grand new discovery about the way the world works and my place in it, I'm hesitant to latch on too tightly because I know that soon enough some other piece of information will come along that will refute that. So again, I think we were meant to grow and change. Still, water breeds bacteria and moving water remains fresh. You'll never step into the same river twice, but a pond remains the same, and that's why you're not supposed to drink pond water, because it would make you sick. You need that movement. So that being said, I'm constantly trying to move, trying to seek out new information that will challenge and grow and refine my worldview. I'm not that brilliant yet, and I haven't quite figured out what my long-term worldview is. I'm still currently wrestling with the big questions like, Is there a God? What is his essence comprised of? What is my relationship to him and my role in this world? You know, your standard, what is the meaning of life, introspective, interrogation routine. So how do I decide what to take in? Well, what do I know anyway? I think I have a very inclusive mindset. My top strength on the Gallup Strengths Finder is includer. I try to keep an open mind and I take in and consider almost anything but I won't adjust to it or make a significant change in the way that I think and live unless it makes sense. It has to be logical. It has to be reasonable. Our reason is one of the only things that distinguishes us from animals, so we have to use that. Also, I think intuition is huge. It's such a gift, and I think we so often take it for granted. I think we intuitively know how to interact with new information and experiences, but we ignore that impulse or little voice in our heads. We quiet it. So I do try to practice leaning into intuition and leaning into that void of not knowingness and remembering to be brave and vulnerable enough to fully engage with it. What I thought was interesting about both Reggie and Sarah's conversations and commentaries is they seem to reflect the beginning frameworks or the beginning uh, processes of developing a lens and the struggles you're going to go through as you sharpen and are faced with new information and then as you almost become more comfortable with that almost a bravery in a sense that you begin to more willingly seek this information out or as Sarah mentioned like lean into it yeah and I feel like the, that leaning in, it's funny because in the last episode that we just had, we delved into leaning into vulnerability and shame and brokenness more 
to better experience our life and to grow as people. But if we take that in a different direction, like what Sarah is saying is we lean into the unknowing. And obviously it's scary because we don't know it. But if we do that, then maybe we can add more to our lives and more to our lens and how we take in and see the world as it is. Absolutely. And I think I think that's what they really accurately reflect is this your your definite their definitions or their conceptualizations of the unknown are shifting rather than something like it evolves not something at first to be feared or something to be run away from but you can see in their conversation and and the evolution of their thought that it the unknown becomes something more to be curious about more to be exactly what you're saying understood used and synthesized and and I think that's what they really reflect well in their conversations about leaning in or, or gaining a curiosity for the unknown. And I got to say, I find it interesting when I was uh, first listening to or when we listened to uh, Reggie talk about his lens, mm-hmm. I feel like he definitely answered all three questions, but not in the way that I thought he would have, in that he still gives off this air of still trying to figure things out. And I think that's an important thing where... In knowledge and in seeking of it and in trying to find a way to interpret our world, we could even call that a worldview, lens worldview. I think they're starting to become just one and the same as we talk about it and we think about it more. We have to be open to we don't know everything. You know, we could be wrong. And over the years, we add things, we take things off, and it's still a journey. So if you right now are are already excited in trying to find a lens, I mean, the best place to start is just to start with what you know and talk to other people that can help you sharpen those ideas and, and sharpen those ways of looking at the world around you, but also continue to be open in that, hey, I could be wrong. Sure, that's scary, but accepting that helps me grow even more. Yeah, and I think I think Sarah mentioned it also in the beginning of her of our conversation is just being so hyper aware of how many different perspectives there are like conceptualizing the world from just this way is is going to be limiting and even if there are individuals or organizations or different ways of viewing a similar situation when you shift your mind you begin to say well I view it this way this is kind of the way I see things however there are many individuals that have come to a different conclusion or use a different lens like what Sarah is saying how can I add that piece to my connect for to maybe get a different or maybe even like what you're saying, an enhanced perspective of essentially the same thing or the same experience that we're seeing, but bring bring more to my life, enrich my life, enrich my yeah. experience. So we have reached the halfway point in our program. And before we come back after a very short break, I just want to let you know what's coming up next. We will be hearing from Kyla Meal and Ryan Atkins two people that Amante and I believe that are more so in that arena of using their lens to interpret the world around them. They're a little bit older, a little bit more worn, a little bit more experienced, and I really know that you're going to appreciate what they're going to be sharing with us. Stay with us. We'll be right back. started thinking about this question, I ended up kind of fixating on the idea of threatening information or threatening events, things that are, are scary or are difficult to adjust to. Um, and that's been something that I've been working on myself, ways that I deal with difficulty. You're listening to the voice of Ryan Atkins. 
He's pursuing a master's in English, is a gymnastics coach, and does all of this while brooding as if contemplating greater truths and being devilishly handsome to boot. Um, and one of the key, there's there's three big things that I've focused on with this. So the first big key comes from Stoicism, um, which essentially says that you should attach your happiness to the idea of acting with virtue or acting the way you were meant to act rather than external events because you have no control over them. Uh, they're called indifference, uh, which there can be preferred preferred indifference. Um, like I would like to get a job, but I don't choose whether I get the job or not. And dispreferred indifference where I don't want this to happen, but again, it's not in my control. Um, the only thing I have control over is my own reaction. Uh, this lines up pretty well with Buddhism. I am not very familiar with Buddhism, but I've seen this concept of the second arrow. So if something bad happens to you, that's the first arrow and you haven't, you know, you're hurt by it, you're injured by it. But if you then take in this pain and fixate on it and rather than letting it, you know, feeling it and then letting it move on, letting it end, then you yourself have created the second arrow, which is worse. Um, so I think this can, uh, this can work with threatening ideas. This can work with somebody who's saying something negative to you, or it can just work with scary ideas or scary events in general. Um, uh, Stoicism, one of the key figures in Stoicism is Marcus Aurelius, who I'm trying to get into reading, but it's difficult. So I've just been looking at quotes and here's an interesting one, which is here is a rule to remember in the future when anything tempts you to feel bitter, not this is misfortune, but to bear this worthily is good fortune. So, uh, humans, um, animals, organisms respond to stressors and respond to difficulties, uh, often by developing, um, so if you constrain something, it expands. A simple example is exercise. You put yourself through temporary difficulty or discomfort, and then you become stronger or you lose weight or whatever. Um, humans are in the category of things known as anti-fragile, um, which a fragile thing is a teacup. If you stress it, it breaks. An anti-fragile thing is a cat. If you stress it, um, you know, if you push the teacup off the table, it breaks. If you push the cat off the table it jumps and then it gets a little bit of exercise. It's actually stronger. So humans can be in that category. Um, and to keep this in your mind that any misfortune, any challenge, or even any idea that threatens your ideas is an opportunity for growth. Um, and it is a necessary condition for growth. So you are, you can view these things as a blessing. I mean, on an intellectual level, I don't think that changes necessarily your gut feeling of something scary or bad happening or an, uh, confronting uh, a concept which which shakes up what you think or how you think. Um, and then the last thing for me is uh, I get I get into information overload a lot. Like there's so many things to uh, to think about or to talk about. There's so many interesting people. There's too many books you could ever, you know, then you could ever read, uh, which is awesome. But I, I can get caught up in little unimportant things and so there's a book by Jocko Willink called Extreme Ownership and he takes lessons from his time uh, leading Navy SEALs in the city of Ramadi in Iraq um, and these lessons that he then teaches to people in business and in life and a lot of them reflect these ancient thinkers like the Stoics um, but he has these you know uh, I think he calls them the laws of combat and uh, one of the things that he or one of his phrases is prioritize and execute. So pick the biggest problem first, then eliminate it. Then pick the second biggest problem, 
and go after it too. Uh, so it's something that I can repeat to myself. If I feel like myself getting distracted or if there's too many things, I just stop, prioritize, and execute, you know, do, deal with it. Uh, the biggest thing first, which kind of comes from Mark Twain. Um, uh, the I heard it, I heard the, the wrong version of this quote first, which was, um, if you have to eat a big, or if you have to eat a plate of frogs, eat the biggest one first, meaning deal with your biggest problem and then the rest will be easier. Uh, the real quote, I looked it up just now, is eat a live frog first thing in the morning and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. And I think that all ties together pretty well. Um, and it, I, I kind of strayed over the boundaries of the question into dealing with adversity, but I do think that threatening ideas may be one of the scariest types of adversity because it, it addresses you yourself as a person or what you view your conception of yourself. Um, and if you can view that as an opportunity for growth, if you can... Um, be grateful to this adversity for developing you, then you have a much better approach and you will be more skilled at, at dealing with hard ideas. And uh, and that's something that we all need right now. I think that's pretty important. And kind of piggybacking on what Ryan said, I asked one of my close friends, Kylie Mill, to, to offer his perspective, his lens. The reason I asked Kyle is I've also been friends with Kyle for a very long time and would consider him, in terms of individuals that I know personally, one of the most well-thought-out, well-articulated, most refined lens. And I wanted his perspective, his opinion on this, on this specific issue to elaborate on maybe how he got that lens, how he challenges it each day, and more specifically, how he uses it like Ryan aforementioned, to deal with really troubling or adversarial information. This is Kyle Emil. I'm going to answer three questions. The first one is, what is your lens? The second one is, what method or approaches do you use when you're faced with novel, surprising, or threatening information? The third one is, what is an example of a time in which information of this nature shifted your lens or altered your paradigm? I'm going to combine kind of the first and second question. Um, of what is your lens and what method or approach do you use when you're faced with novel, surprising, or threatening information because they're um, <clears throat> kind of tied for me. Uh, my lens, at least I try to be or tends to be one that is multidisciplinary. Uh, I try to combine multiple schools of thoughts from humanities to the arts to social applied and hard sciences uh, to try to understand how information affects human psychology uh, and most specifically human behavior for like individuals and groups, I think that I'm always trying to understand the motivations or the implications of information. <clears throat> uh, I think the implications are, I don't think information and the implication of information are mutually exclusive. And I think you have to look at them together. Uh, I tend to think in abstractions, patterns, ideas, and like essence of ideas, right? Um, I'm always trying to, as I mentioned, understand the motivation because I know all information that we have comes from humans and humans primarily are driven by motivations. Um, so I often try to understand the underlying motivation first <clears throat> uh, because I think it'll help me understand in totality what the information is looking to communicate. Like oftentimes when I'm reading something or, or speaking to someone, I'll say to myself, I'll ask myself the questions like, what is this person slash information trying to communicate? Why are they trying to communicate that? Why would someone even look to gather this information? What does this information do for 
a human or someone else? Uh, what does this information permit or forbid in human behavior? And what does this information and how does this information affect the future decision making and lifestyle of a person? Um, <clears throat> I'm I'm constantly always trying to f- properly frame and understand the constraints of any information that I'm receiving because once I'm able to understand the bounds of it, I think I can really start digging. Um, it's like I try to get like a bird's eye view of what it is that the information is present, like the, what it is that the information is presenting or trying to communicate. Um, and then once I got like the general landscape, I think it. I can, yeah, really start digging at it. I then start comparing the information to, like, pre-existing information and try my best to, like, stress test uh, the claims or the information um, by seeing if it holds true in other contexts or situations. Um, Yeah. Shout out to the scientific method. Um, The, the, now I'm going to move, that kind of answered the first and second question. Um, I'm going to answer the third question of what is an example of a time in which information of this nature shifted your lens or altered your paradigm. Um, I think the best case of this I have is uh, reading what is known as the three masters of suspicion. Now, uh, so I grew up Seventh-day Adventist household, uh, pretty traditional, right? Um and yeah, just kind of grew up always, I mean, primarily had been around it, went to Adventist churches, went to Adventist schools, um, and which which was the early shapings of my worldview. And then I got, my, I think by the time I hit college, maybe, I think it's college. Um, I Yeah, when you're just, you're just being exposed to new and more ideas. Um, I read about the three masters of suspicion and these are they are suspicious of religion and this is Nietzsche, Freud and Marx. Um and also some of the other existentialists that just really messed everything up for me because it was like the first time or one of the early times I realized that like oh wow it's not like it's like people who don't have my worldview is not that they're wrong or they're not in my camp. It's like they actually have very sound arguments and I like my arguments for why I believe or think the things I do are not as thought out or as thorough as their arguments, right? Um, and it kind of disoriented um, me uh, and loosened up um, what was this anchor that had been in my life, right? Um, and kind of made me had to redo the work. Like I had to start over and really build my ideas or beliefs from the ground up, so to speak. Um, and how I did that was I just first had to understand, yeah, trying to frame their uh, thoughts and ideas and understand what it is that they're saying, um, which is something that to this day I still don't have like completely mastered, right? Um, I still am getting better and understanding more and more of it every day. Um, but yeah, that that is probably a time where... Uh, Information was threatening, at least to my pre-existing views, um, and I had to deal with that. What I really appreciated about both what Kyle and Ryan shared was this this two-pronged ability that you gain when you face information as you go through this process. The first thing being you're able to more clearly articulate your lens or your perspective to other people and in turn 
spread your ideas, gain from other ideas, and proliferate better ways of understanding the world. And the other thing, which I think is perhaps the most important aspect of this entire conversation, is you gain, they express a fearlessness of new information. Things become less scary. Things become less intrusive. It's like when you used to be afraid of the dark, but once you start lighting a candle or you, you experience some time in the dark, it becomes less scary. So there their conversation and their willingness to now just face information with essentially the lens, the perspective of how can this benefit me? How can I educate and be a more clear spokesman person for my lens and refine it? And how can I live more fearlessly and live more in accordance with truth and desiring to see the world as clearly as possible, I think are two of the most important things to glean from this entire conversation of forming your lens and refining it. So thank you for joining us for SMART. But before we close, Amante and I want to give a quick three-step summation Mm -hmm. of all that we've heard and have listened to in this episode. Step number one, search. Yeah, and the way we kind of define search we thought was really well exemplified by Reggie. There's this really passionate hunger or thirst or desire to just be open, to be willing to seek out and just be very essentially hyper curious and to take in information just be constantly searching for what is true what is helpful what is what is pragmatic step number two sift yeah and i guess the way we oper- operationalize the definition of sift we thought sarah kind of really ex- um, exemplified and ryan as well exemplified this was this ability to say okay i'm looking at a lot of different information i'm taking in a lot of things that are different and maybe diametrically opposed how do i sift through these how do i look for what i i find valuable or allows me to be more articulate more loving more intelligent or uh, essentially what allows me to be a better person or have a more um articulated way of thought and step number three refine yeah, I think this is kind of the, the pinnacle or the, I guess, one of the ultimate goals. And what we thought Kyle really exemplified well is that as you continue to search and, sh- and sift through these, this material, you begin to more easily, when you contrast these ideas, it begins to become more refined. You take in different information. You stress test it. You, put, you, you essentially begin to distill what is valuable and find something that, as Jordan has mentioned before, stands the test of time or is able to be met with criticism, met with critique, and still holds true and allows you to face new situations, both with like a lack of fear as well as just like a really cutting ability to be to be clear and concise in your in your thoughts. And the other thing I thought, Jordan, was interesting is like when we were conceptualizing what these things brought to the table, we I also found it interesting that these three steps are also what are used to find anything of value in this world, gems, oil, gold, this searching for what's important, sifting through things that are not or seemingly unimportant, or seemingly unhelpful, and then ultimately refining and distilling it into what is valuable, what is the gem, what is the most clear, concrete version of your lens. So we hope with these three steps and just everything that we have talked about in our time together, you'll be able to encounter new information with a new perspective and create a lens that can help you see through the world less dimly, more clearly. And that'll be all for now. Special thanks to, of course, my smart correspondent, Amante Gonzalez, contributors Kyle Emil, Sarah Stelfox, Ryan Atkins, and Reggie Dazier. And don't forget to follow Smart on Instagram at Smart Podcast and on Twitter at Smart The Podcast. 
And lastly, don't forget to visit our page on iTunes, give us a star rating, and leave us a review. That helps a lot. Well, that'll be all for me, folks. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Smart. Happy Jack wasn't old, but he was a man.